Good evening. If you would be turning to Matthew chapter 5, we'll be beginning there soon. Matthew chapter 5. It's good to see you. We welcome any visitors that we might have. And as you probably already heard, I am not your regular preacher. Our preacher Josh, who's here this evening, he has a gospel meeting to go to yet this evening. So he's already warned me that if I preach past midnight, he's going to have to get up and leave and get and get out of here. So I can't remember how long it's been, but Josh asked me six, seven, eight months ago if I would fill in for him, and I accepted. And so I've had about six, seven, or eight, or nine months to worry about this sermon. It's <clears throat> it's not easy, but I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I hope that what I can say here this evening will be a benefit to you. In Matthew chapter 5, we begin the Beatitudes as they describe the characteristics of people who belong to the kingdom of heaven. This Sermon on the Mount begins one of the most countercultural sermons that the people of that day could hardly imagine. One that would leave them with the question, what was it that Jesus said? Or did he really say that? Did he really mean that? It was, it was hard for them to understand. <clears throat> The characteristics that are described in the Sermon on the Mount are not characteristics that anyone in the world would believe would make them successful, joyful, or blessed. To say that those who are poor in spirit, pure in heart, those who are meek, those who are sad, are the ones that would be blessed in this world, and in this culture, and even in this country. They would say then, and we would say even now, you've got to be kidding me, right? So we begin with the text in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I'd like to make a few points first explaining what Jesus might have meant when he described the kingdom of heaven. And then we'll take a few points to uh, talk about what Jesus might have meant when he talked about those who were poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is an expression that's only found in Matthew's gospel and it's used extensively throughout. I counted at least 15, 15 different verses in Matthew of that phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Luke, Mark, and John refer to it as the kingdom of God, and they don't nearly bring it up as much as Matthew, the book of Matthew does. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven pulls together the entire hope of Israel's story for the Messianic age. It talks about the promise of a king, the Messiah, It talks about the promise of having a land. It talks about uh, the holy people, the people of God. And it talks about how God would use his redemptive power to create holiness and peace. It is a phrase that represents the fullness of God's blessings, and it all comes together here in Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. If you would be finding the book of Daniel, if you want to follow along, Daniel uses this phrase, kingdom of God, And he uses the phrase son of man, and they all come together in one verse. But there's at least three references I'd like to read. It's important, I think, and interesting because the kingdom was Jesus' primary teachings, especially in the book of Matthew. And the phrase son of man was his most common self-designation, what he called himself as, or what he referred to himself as. Look at Daniel 2, verse 44. Daniel 2.44 says, and here Daniel is interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the large statue. And it says, in those days of those kings, 
The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, <clears throat> nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Now flip over, if you will, to Daniel 4, and we'll read verses 2, two through 3. Daniel 4. <clears throat> Here King Nebuchadnezzar is talking to his people, and he says, It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his, his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his, uh, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And then finally over in Daniel 7, verse 13, Daniel 7, Daniel here is describing the vision that he's just had of the four beasts. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all the peoples, all the nations, all the languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I believe this <clears throat> this has gives reference to the same kingdom that Jesus is describing here. The kingdom of heaven cannot be oversimplified to say that it is simply just the people who are going to heaven. While that is a while that is a true statement, it would include those people who are going to heaven. It's not exactly what the text says. Look at it again. Jesus does not say theirs will be the kingdom of heaven, as in future tense. He says theirs is the kingdom of heaven, present tense. These are the ones who will have the kingdom, both present and in the future. Saying that the kingdom of heaven is another word for heaven kind of misses the bigger picture. The kingdom of heaven represents that there is a king, Jesus, who rules over all nations and all peoples, and he destroys the enemies, and he judges the wicked. Those who are in his kingdom enjoy the benefits as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, receiving the designation as children of God in relationship with the Father because they've been redeemed. And if they are children, then they are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ. That's given in Romans 8, 17. Now let's talk a little bit about what the poor in spirit uh, might mean. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, <clears throat> if you were asked to describe the characteristics of belonging in God's kingdom, what kind of characteristics would you immediately think about? I might consider uh, holiness, being holy, being sinless, without, without sin, being perfect, being righteous, being obedient. While these all are true statements of those who belong in the kingdom, and we study about them all the time, uh, like I said at the beginning of this lesson, this sermon that Jesus gave, it was countercultural. People couldn't understand it. It goes against what the world thought. And let me define counterculture. It is a way of life and a set of attitudes opposed to or a conflict with the prevailing social norm. Now, I'm not really saying that it's countercultural to Christians because Christians have heard the Word of God. They know the Word of God. They are learning the Word of God. We have a better understanding today 
of what it is that Christ was teaching. Probably better so more than they did back then during Jesus' time. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13.10 says, When that which is perfect is complete, or, yeah, when that which is perfect is complete or complete has come, that which is in part will be done away with. We have the complete. We have the perfect. It is the written word of God. We have everything that God wants us to have to be able to learn and read and study about him and to know. So by reading and studying the scriptures, we can learn what it is that Jesus was trying to say. But again, this teaching was and still is counterculture, countercultural and counterintuitive to the world. Think how much more so it was to them in Jesus' day and to the religious leaders. Jesus begins by declaring that it is the poor in spirit uh, who belong to the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so what does it mean then to be poor in spirit? Well, it might mean that we recognize and that we understand our spiritual poverty before God. It might mean that we know that we do not have any resources in ourselves and within ourselves, and therefore we look to God for help, and we depend on Him. We sing a song oftentimes, I need thee every hour, and I think of this song a lot, I need thee every hour because I can't make it on my own. We need God's help. We need Jesus' help. Being poor in spirit might also mean that we stand without pretense, without a facade, without a mask, masquerading before God and before others as something that we're not. We would be stripped of all self-sufficiency, self-security, and self-righteousness. It would also mean that we would have no pride and no ego, and we would not rely on ourselves or our possessions to feel secure. It might also mean, too, that we would be caring of others, humble, thoughtful, and understanding of others, emptying ourselves for the better of someone else. Now let's look at some examples that Jesus gives of what it's like to be uh, poor in spirit. We talked about this this morning, Josh Harris did in Luke 15, where we talked about the prodigal son. The prodigal son shows a contrast of what it's like to be poor in spirit and what it's like to, to not be poor in spirit. Look in uh, Luke 15, uh, starting in verse 11, here Jesus describes the characteristic or the attitude of the younger son when he comes to his father. Look in verse 12. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. I might paraphrase that or say it a different way. Father, give me what's owed to me. Give me what's mine. Give me what I rightfully deserve. And he did, and he gave it to him. And after he got it, he left and went out and squanders his money and his life on prodigal living or sinful living. And it was, and when it was all gone and he had nothing, he finally comes to his senses and returns to the Father. Now listen what he says in verse 18. He says to himself, he says, this is what I'm going to say to my father. This shows what kind of heart this son has. He's going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And again, I might paraphrase it this way. Father, I don't deserve to be called your son. I've drugged your name through the mud, and everyone that knows me knows what kind of a terrible sinner I am. They look at me and they laugh, and they point at me and they mock. 
Father, I'm sorry. Father, I have nothing. I need you. I need your help. Father, I'm hungry. Father, I'm starving. I can't make it on my own. I have nothing to bargain with. I have nothing to bring. I am at your mercy. Father, have mercy on me. I think this is the heart that the son had. He's broken and he's repentant. Josh gave a good sermon a few weeks ago. Repentance, the big one. Why is it, why is it so hard for us to repent? Why does it sometimes take us so long to repent? This son had nowhere else to go. He had no one else to rely on. He was at bottom and he couldn't take care of himself. His only option was to see his situation and to return to his father. The necessary first step to belong in the kingdom, to be a true believer, a true follower of Christ, is to know that we're deep in sin and to know that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves except come to God and beg for his mercy. You see, kingdom citizens are beggars. They beg, and they're willing to beg to God. That's the kind of heart and that's the kind of spirit that God's looking for. So again, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The opposite of being poor in spirit is the person who stands before God and tells God, give me what I deserve. Give me what I, what I owe, as if God owes us something. The younger son, he did this to his father. He did this to the father, and he got what he owed, what was owed to him. But I cringe and I fear for the person who would do this to God. God, give me what I owe. Because I would tell you, it's, it wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be good to, for God to give us what we owe, what's owed us. The older son, too, in this parable, he, he did the same thing. He was angry at his brother. He was angry at his father. And he said, Father, I've been here all along. I've been doing everything right. I've been doing this, this, this. He's gone down the list of all the things that he's done. I've been doing everything right. I've never gotten to throw a party with my friends. God, that's not fair. God, give me what I what what you owe me. Again, I cringe when we do, when we might do that to God. When we blame God for our life and for our circumstances, for our poverty, asking God to give us what we owe. Did you, we need to ask ourselves? Did Jesus get what was owed him? No. When he was when he was mocked, when beaten and crucified. He got what was owed to me, and I got what was owed to him. I got life and freedom. and He got death. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Turn now, if you will, to Luke 18, and we'll discuss another parable that Jesus gives. Luke 18, we'll see another contrast of what it looks like to be poor in spirit and what it looks like to not be poor in spirit. Luke 18, starting in verse 9, here Jesus also told this parable the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. He says, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Why, Father, I fast twice a week, And I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Why was this sinner, this tax collector, justified? Was it because he was righteous? No. Was it because he was perfect and he did so many good things? No. Jesus said, he said he was perfect because he was poor in spirit. If you were to ask the average person there who heard Jesus give this parable, who was uh, who was justified, they would quickly say, why, it was the Pharisee, of course. Look how good the Pharisee was. Look how many good things the Pharisee did. He did all kinds of righteous deeds. He fasted twice a week. He gave tithes of all that he had. Why, he was at the temple every time the temple doors were open. You see, he was counting all the good things that he was doing. But again, Jesus says that it was the tax collector who was justified, and he was justified because he was poor in spirit. He would not lift up his eyes to heaven, and all he could say was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He understood his spiritual destitution, and he is stripped of all self-security, self-righteousness, and self-sufficiency. He had no pride, he had no ego, and he was full of humility. He stands before God and he says, Father, here's what I have to give you. A broken, my sacrifice to you, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. Have mercy on me. That's taken from Psalms 51. It is a psalm of David. And God says this of David. He says, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This is said in Acts 13.22. The first principle of kingdom of being in the kingdom of heaven is that citizen kingdom citizens do not beg. They excuse me, they do not brag, they beg. They beg God. They do not compare themselves against others. And they do not list all their righteous deeds. Look also what the Lord says in Revelation 3 about the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea was guilty of this sin of not being poor in spirit. He says in verse 17, Revelation 3.17, it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, they had everything they needed. They didn't need God because they had everything they needed. They were rich, but the Lord called them poor. They needed nothing, but the Lord called them blind because they could not see their spiritual condition before God. They did not recognize their spiritual poverty, and therefore they were lukewarm, and God was going to spit them out of his mouth. It was a detestable thing to God for them to act like this. Again, they were masquerading as something they were not. Jesus also warns us to not be self-secure. In John 15, 5, he says it this way. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, that song just rings in my head. I need thee every hour because apart from Jesus, apart from God, we can do nothing and we are nothing. Listen to what he says in John 9.39. John 9.39, Jesus said, 
For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near near him heard these things, and they said to him, Are we blind also? Implying that they were not blind. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So we need to ask ourselves, are we seeing ourselves in the same way that God sees ourselves? Or are we fooling ourselves? All of these pictures show us what it means to be poor in spirit and how not to be poor in spirit. This is the attitude that's required to being in the kingdom of heaven. Depending on ourselves is being at odds with the kingdom of God. God wants people who know that they're spiritually needy. God wants people to see that their spiritual goodness does not measure up to God's standards or his holiness. We can't do enough good work because we're still sinners. This is one of the problems with the world today. They all think that they're good and that they don't need God. They feel okay. They feel secure. You have to know and you have to realize that you're deep in sin and you can't do anything to save yourself except come to God and beg. Beg for his mercy, just like the prodigal son did, just like the tax collector did, and just like King David himself did. He begged for God, have mercy on me. Only the poor in spirit want to live in God's kingdom because they know that they have nothing and they are nothing apart from Jesus. Without being poor in spirit... We can only endure one ruler, and that is myself. We might fight to the death to preserve our sovereign rule over our kingdom of one. We will continue to believe that what we want matters, and we will continue to do what we think is best for us, and live how we want to live, and not allow Jesus to have rulership over us. A huge reason people will not come to God and answer his call is that they don't want to give up and surrender their life. They want to be in charge. Being poor in spirit is the only way that we will allow Jesus to have complete rule over us. Isaiah said this about the coming of the Lord. He said this in Isaiah 61. Isaiah prophesied about this, about the coming of the righteous king and who he was going to be delivering. 61 verse 1, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. And Jesus quoted this same passage as found in Luke and and Matthew. You have to know who you are so that you can be set free by Jesus. You You have to know your sinful state and allow Jesus uh, to take over. Jesus brought the good news to the poor and to the brokenhearted, to those held captive in sin, and to those who recognize their pitiful state, those who see and are not blind. But Jesus gives some woes. Woe to those who are blind. He says this in Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. 
So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Turn to Philippians 2 if you like. And we'll see this is how we should view ourselves. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, the writer here says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here again, Jesus emptied Himself, not for the better of Him, but for us. He became a servant. And not only a servant, but He was willing to die on the cross for us. Because that was the only way that we could be redeemed. Again, we cannot do it on our own. Being poor in spirit is recognizing that we have nothing to give to God. Only the grace of the gospel and the understanding, the comprehension of our great sin and our lack of self-righteousness can bring us to being poor in spirit. We must hear these words of the scriptures. There is no one good except God alone. That's in Luke eighteen nineteen. Also, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. That's given in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. And we need to understand that it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Again, I need thee every hour. Father, I can't make it on my own, and I I don't know how to direct my steps. Father, I need you to guide me and lead me. There is no grace for us until we become poor in spirit. And if it is by grace, it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. That's given in Romans 11.6. It is not until we are poor in spirit that we can see how glorious Christ is or understand his richness toward us. We must grasp our deadness and blindness due to sin and see that there is life available in Jesus Christ. We must stand without pretense before God, stripped of all self-sufficiency, self-security, self-righteousness. We need to be humble, and we need to beg for the mercy of God. In fact, standing might not even be the best posture. Falling to our knees and bowing our heads, that might be the better posture and show our, our pure heart before God. Now is the time, this very hour, to approach God like the, like the tax collector did, saying, have mercy on me, God. As long as we still breathe, we have opportunity to repent. But the moment that we're taken from this life, whether we die or whether the Lord comes again, at that moment it will be too late, and we will stand before God just as we are. It will be too late at that time to repent and confess. The mark of a Christian is not being perfect or sinless. The Apostle John talks about it this way. Uh, Josh read this passage. He started out with this passage this morning. 1 John 1. 1 John 1. I want to end with this passage. 1 John 1 verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The mark of a Christian, of those living in the kingdom, is learning and increasing our awareness of our sinfulness. To be poor in spirit is to be humble, not proud, quickly willing to repent. Again, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the lesson for this evening. That's the lesson for this evening. So now is the time, as we call the invitation, for those who have never been baptized and buried with Christ, those who have never been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, like we just read, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. If we've never had that blood of Jesus Christ on us, we are lost. And we need to wake up and we need to not be blind anymore to our situation. If there are those who are Christians, brothers or sisters, if there's a sin in your life, beg God for mercy. That's the kind of heart that God wants us to have, uh, a heart that's poor in spirit. And if you need to come forward and, and have us pray for you, we'd be, we'd be glad to do that. If, if you've never put on Christ, we'd be glad to baptize you tonight too. Whatever the case may be, we ask that you come while we stand and while we sing.